Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Today, we are talking about before you say the words, I do, there's a lot you need to know. Yes. A lot that you need to know. (laughs) If only we could explain Everything you need to know before you get married. See, I'm, I buck that trend. Did, why? I got married quickly. That's right. You broke all the rules. I, I am. I am that person. Yes. You are the one that we're doing the show for. Because oh, there's so much you needed to know. <laughs> 17 years too late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, not too late. Don't say it that way because then it sounds like you're not happily married. Oh, no. I'm happily married. Happily. Happily married. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about uh, the experiences, kind of what matters uh, really in your life, in your marriage, long term. So there's certain things you need to know. There's certain things that do matter, like like just who you dated, for heaven's sakes. We've got uh, Doctor and Professor Scott Stanley. They're going to be jo- he's going to be joining us. He is honestly one of my heroes. He's kind of like a John Gottman. Hmm. He's a guru. And has studied a ton about this. So we'll be talking to him throughout the show. Also, uh, a little bit later, we're going to have a visit from Sarah Gowans. She's going to talk about um, just, I guess, what she tries to teach her kids, her daughters. She has four daughters. She's going to show us what kids need to learn physically, socially, Mm -hmm. spiritually. But here's the deal. Sad news. Joan Rivers passed away. Yes. 81 years old. This afternoon. This afternoon. one seventeen a.m. or yeah. p.m. But surrounded by family. Yes. But that's sad. She it was, is. The night before she went in for that procedure, she's doing a stand-up show. An hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. That could be any one of us. Well, she was a very funny lady. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the— She was crass. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that was her act. Yeah. Do you remember the, her on Carson, though? Oh, of course. I yeah I, I rem- yes, I remember her sitting in for Carson mm-hmm. at times. Well she, well, she was the permanent guest host. Yeah. Did, did you, okay, who knows her name? What was her name before she got Malinsky? Yeah, Joan Malinsky. Not to be compared to Monica Lewinsky. No, thank you. Those are different people. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but Joan Malinsky, when she entered, and by the way, she was on Candid Camera. She played opposite mm-hmm. of Barbara Streisand when she started out. This woman's done everything. She appeared on the Ed Sullivan show, Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. She was the designated substitute for Johnny. Long time. That is, is a big deal. It is. But then that created some issues because, you well, know. She she wanted to continue to grow. Yeah. So she started her own show. Started her own show on Fox Network back when Fox was just this weird network. Mm-hmm. Now, some would say it's still a weird network. But True. It's, it, was, <laughs> it was back right when it started. Do you remember that too? Yeah. That was when Arsenio Hall went over there, didn't he? Wasn't he? Didn't he start on Fox? I think as it was well? a little after her, but yeah. Yeah. So she went over there. It lasted about a year. But Johnny Carson never got over it. Nope. She had the show, The Late Show, starring Joan Rivers, which would have competed head to head with Johnny Carson. Sad. It didn't last that long. No. But still. And then now she was doing Fashion Police on, yeah. on E Network. 
and talk about being crass. That is where she had she beat down more people. Oh, yes, oh, you know, yes. but I, it's almost one of those things where you know when you're 81. People don't. People you people give you a lot of leeway. <laughs> they do. But it was interesting too because what 81 year old is still commenting on somebody's fashion, you know, fashion and attire? I mean mm-hmm. that's that's pretty that's pretty gutsy. Like seriously, at 81, I just want to sit. But people let her. I don't want to say get away with it. Mm-hmm. But you know, but she said some. Pretty incredibly oh, horrible. Oh, I know. My wife has watched that show, and I've, I've sat there watching it with her and couldn't believe some of the things that I heard come out of her mouth. I can't. I, I couldn't. Yeah. I, I, don't like, I don't like all these comedians dying. Mm. I think the world's less funny now. I would think so. Don't you think? A little bit. But we, I mean, we have James. True. Uh, James, you got to keep <laughs> us laughing, brother. Well, I will try, but- Say something funny, James. Uh, okay. No, that's, it's too soon. <laughs> no, On say demand. something funny. On too, demand too right soon. now. <laughs> Isn't that the worst thing in the world? No, make us laugh. I hate that. I know. It's like dance, monkey. Dance, cloud, mm. yeah. yeah. Go. <laughs> right. Hey, um, here's some things she said that I think are pretty fascinating. She told her daughter, Melissa, sell anything. She said she wanted to be cremated. Okay. She told Melissa, sell anything and everything you don't want. Don't feel beholden to my possessions. That's interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Kind of letting you go. Exactly. By the way, author of 12 books. And this is uh, the coolest thing I've read about her so far. Um, she wanted – she wondered what she should leave her as a legacy for her only grandson, Cooper, Melissa's son. Right. And she said – this is really cool. She said all she wanted to leave – and she told this to grandparents.com – was that success comes through work. Wow. Period. Hers really mattered to her. Success comes through work. She worked super hard, and she wanted her son to, grandson to know that. Uh, what pleasure you feel, she said, when you've kept people happy for an hour and a half. They've forgotten their troubles. It's great. There's nothing like it in the world. I mean, she knew what she yeah. wanted. That's true. And she went out and got it. She went out and got it. Sure, she offended a lot of people. Sure. But she, she she was there. Yeah, she was a really hard worker. I mean, even even just before she entered the hospital, I mean, she was she was really really busy. She was doing yeah. tours and such. And well, she went in to to have some work nodules done on her nodules. Oh, okay. For her throat, so that she could go out on tour. Oh, I see. So she was prepping for tour. And once again, she's eighty one, and she's going on these mm-hmm. tours. That's, That's cool. crazy. Yeah. So whether you love her or you know tolerate her, but whatever. But she was. She was iconic, and oh, she was an definitely. iconic feminist in a way, you know, mm-hmm. without being, mm-hmm. you know, you know, turning everyone off. Exactly. Yeah. I loved it. That's, I mean, to know you made a difference, that's cool. Well, when you heard, you know, when you heard there was a Joan Rivers show, you knew what you were going to get at the oh, show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but it almost seems like the older she got, the more crass she oh, could get. Oh, I would get, think so. A little right? bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is... You'd think they'd soften (laughs) in their old age. She also, by the way, made a comment how much she loved plastic surgery. Loved it. Oh, yes. That was – she was never shy about saying that she had it. So She also – really an interesting part of her um, that I read about was, you know, so her second husband committed suicide. Right. Do you remember when that was? It was in the 80s. That's what I I thought it was in the 80s, but she never remarried as far as I know. I don't think she did. Um, But this is what happened, though. She said a bunch of stuff started hitting, you know. Her second husband, Edgar Rosenberg, the father of Melissa, her only child, Mm -hmm. he committed suicide. And that same year, she was fired from her show. Oh, the late show? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. 
And then um, a bunch of other stuff started happening. She started getting a lot of bad publicity because of the bad blood between sure. uh, Johnny Carson and um, Joan. And she said she was a pariah. I wasn't invited anywhere. I was a non-person at one point. I thought, what's the point? This is stupid. Why mm-hmm. am I doing any of this? What saved me, she continued, was my dog jumped into my lap. She was sitting there. Listen to this story. Unbelievable. No one will take care of him. So she, the dog jumped into her lap. And she had a gun on her lap. I had a gun on my lap, she said, and the dog sat on the gun. She was ready to be done. Wow. And the dog sat on the gun. And I lecture on suicide because things turn around. I tell people this is a horrible, awful, awful dark moment, but it will change. And you must know it's going to change. And you push forward. I look back and think life is great. Life goes on. It changes. Saved by the dog. I mean, that, think about it, that was before she really won all these other things and did all of these other things. Exactly. So it's interesting. In your darkest down moment, you know, you can't give up. But by the way, she's not um, – she had a lot of stuff go wrong in one mm-hmm. in one simple part of her life. Joan Rivers, gone. Gone, gone, gone. But will be remembered uh, again – Died peacefully, gratefully, at the age of 81. Our uh, best wishes to her family, to Melissa, to her grandson. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to take on the idea, the concept, everything we need to accomplish before we say, I do. What are some of the things that are essential that will set up? You know, your your marriage to be able to make it long-term. Dr. Scott Stanley will be joining us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we have a great topic today for you. If you have somebody in your life that may be getting married soon or just you're raising your kids and you want to make sure they have a real shot at uh, at it. In fact, James just pointed to himself. James, are you getting married soon? Okay, okay. Not not that soon. I was just You're just saying, yeah. In the immediate future, possibly. This, sh- this show is for you. Oh, yeah. I'm... I, I guarantee I am taking notes. I really I, am. I am personally dedicating this show to you, James Birdsaw. Thank you. And the future queen of the Birdsaw Birdsall <laughs> nest. The future spouse. What's it? What do we call Molly? We're calling her Molly. Yeah, Molly. Yeah. AKA, she won't give us her real name. <laughs> uh, well, we got a great show. Today we're talking about Before I Do. What do you need to know? What should your children know? Before they get married. And, I mean, it seems, you know, it used to just be, well, you need to know you're in love. Okay, that's all you need. Love is all you need. Well, there's a lot of great research going on, and love is is great, and it's essential, right? It, it, it is maybe in the end all you need, along with some other insight about what goes on as you're preparing for marriage, what matters, what doesn't. There's a lot of kind of pop psychology out there. 
Everybody's got a take on this, but I wanted to bring in an expert, Dr. Scott Stanley. He's been on the show before. He really is somebody that I follow closely. And if if you want to know more about what we're going to talk about, there's a website that Scott has put together called Sliding Versus Deciding. Sliding vs Deciding dot blogspot dot com. Just go Google. I mean, just go Google sliding versus deciding, and you'll get there. But Dr. Scott Stanley is a research professor and co-director of the Center for Marital and Family Studies at the University of Denver. He's very widely published. Um, he also is uh, highly committed to um, not just marriage research, but relationship commitment. He, he's investigated and researched that cohabitation, conflict, confidence risk factors for divorce, and prevention of marital distress. It seems to be a, a target that he's, he's gone after. And along with Dr. Howard Markman and, and other colleagues, they've all been in, involved in some development and refinement of a program called PREP, which is Prevention Relationship Enhancement Program. It is a program I personally was trained in, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. And I've taught it, uh, I've taught his classes, and, and I'm a big believer in him. But more importantly, um, today, he's going to be teaching us about before I do, before we make certain decisions. And a lot of that research, by the way, is coming from um, some, a project he's working on, the National Marriage Project out of the University of Virginia, and a report where he's been working as a senior fellow. So, Dr. Scott Stanley, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, thanks for having me back. Really glad to you be back. I love what you're doing. And again, I, I had never seen, and I've, I thought I've read everything you've ever done, Sliding versus Deciding. It's a great website. So, I mean, I assume you're writing on that regularly. Oh, yeah. I, I post there regularly. Uh, a lot of times insights for just the average person and other times things that are more among researchers, hmm. and, you know, debates and stuff. Yeah. But, uh, it's all the stuff I focus on. Well, yeah. Scott, teach us about, you know, it, it almost seems like what Matt, what happens to us before we get married impacts our marriage. So prior relationships, prior, you know, paradigms about dating and about love. T- teach us what we need to know about forming a romantic relationship that can last. Yes. Well, let me give a little background. So my colleague Galena Rhodes and I have this national data set that we started following uh, people for five years in, in 2007 who were unmarried but in serious romantic relationships. And over the five years that we followed uh, these people in this national data set, we were able to follow, uh, that was 1,300 people, we were able to follow um, a little over 400 into their marriages. And what we did recently for this report, for the National Marriage Project, is we looked at how a basic measure of marital quality was associated with things related to premarital experiences. So your first question is really about uh, premarital experiences with other people. Yeah. So with uh, so we've looked at things like if the person only ever had sex with the person they've married or with other people. Huh. We looked at how many sexual partners people have had. We looked at if people had only ever cohabited uh, if people had ever cohabited with anybody besides their mate uh, or only with their mate, which could be, you know, waiting till marriage or sometime before marriage. And then we looked at also whether people had a child from a prior relationship. And every one of those kinds of 
prior experiences, more sexual partners, sex with other people, cohabiting with other people, obviously a child with other people. All of those uh, dimensions are related to uh, lower ratings of marital quality once married. Really? That seems so counter to what we keep hearing that, you know, we need experience. We need to, we need to experience a lot of partners, experience a lot of people. But it runs that runs counter to actual long term marital stability. Yes, it does run counter, and and there's a number of reasons why. One is, and I always like to get this out because it's a common point that critics make about this kind of research, and it's a reasonable point. Some people were just kind of almost born at higher risk, you know, because of their the way their parents' relationship was or didn't exist. Uh, economic, educational disadvantages. There's, there's a lot of things that put people on a path of either sort of higher or lower risk, including these very kinds of things that I just said. Hmm. But having said that, there's, there's also really good reasons to believe that having more experiences of a certain kind before marriage uh, can lower your odds of doing well in marriage, so the kind that I mentioned. And if you think about it, here's some of the challenges in that. One of the things that happens, you know, in most areas in life, we think about having more experience as being a good thing. Right. But when it comes to things like the number of sexual partners or the number of cohabiting partners, one of the things that that we believe and others believe in the field is that part of what's happening when you're when you're having such intense experiences with other people, you're partly also training yourself to think there's a lot of other fish in the sea. And you know, while it's true there's a lot of fish in the sea. Once you really decide to marry somebody, you're really deciding, you know, it's this fish. It's yeah, this, this is the fish. fish. This is the fish. <laughs> and so so I'm going to be with this person. And one of the things that, that commitment always works against or that works against commitment is the sense that I got options. So when people have had a lot of these ex- intense experiences with other people, partly they're training themselves that there's mm. a lot of other options, yeah. and that could make it harder once you finally settle down in commitment to really follow through. Because commitment, that I know that's a big area you study. That you, you need somebody to just seri- to truly choose. This is one person I will now learn and cohabit and live with. I mean, and change my life for forever. I'm doing this. I'm committed. I'm in till death do us part. All in. Yeah. That's right. And you can you can see, you know, one of the most fundamental ways I like to say what commitment's about is when you're really making a commitment, you're making a choice to give up other choices. I mean, that's that's, that's what it. It is. Yeah. You're choosing to give up other choices. And you can see, obviously, that runs against so many currents in our culture, you know, where we're encouraged to hang on to everything. So back to this idea of, like, relationship experience, and, and then I'll differentiate a part. Um, having a greater sense of other choices may make it harder to give them up mm. when married and to quit making comparisons. Now, that's a little different from people are wise before they choose a partner in marriage. It is wise to date a number of people, to really get to know a number of people and figure out, you know, who you're really attracted to, what sort of characteristics you like and and don't like or could stand and don't stand. Some people don't do nearly enough of that, but I'm contrasting that with being so deeply involved or sexually involved or living with other people where those experiences can really alter the dynamic dynamics for you versus just getting a good sense of who do I really want to be with? Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with a latter idea. Right. People should be doing that. Well, and it seems like the more you've been with the, the, you know, the more 
you may have been hurt, the more baggage yep. you may carry, and the better exactly. you might be getting at breaking up. <laughs> I mean, you, you may be mastering the breakup. Say, you're exactly right. I was going to say that. And, and, and sociologists have long talked about this in terms of well, why are people more likely to get divorced in a second or third marriage? Because, you, you know, you could argue again, well, wouldn't they sort of have learned or this yeah. kind of thing? And again, there's that what we call selection in there that some people are just having more difficulty in relationships from the get-go. But then there is exactly that point you made. You know, in part, you're gaining practice at leaving somebody. Yeah. And, and once you get actually pretty good or better at that. And I don't mean like you enjoy it, but I mean, you know, you're comfortable I can though. I mean, it. I yeah. can do it. You're comfortable. Yeah, you, I can do it. Then I think in, in some cases what happens then is some people throw away really quite good marriages, you know, that if they just had hung in there a little longer, tried harder, sort of, you know, put more of themselves into it, uh, they really would have gotten through that period. But if you've learned that I can handle bailing out, then you're going to bail out maybe too soon on a really good relationship. Well, this, oh man, Scott, I love having you on because what we're hearing, it's really counter to what you hear culturally, right? I mean, it's almost like, oh, we just sound like a bunch of you know, puritanical, I don't know, like, but it, it validates that there's some truth in just some of these lasting principles of, you know, princi- I mean, fo- I, I, focusing on the right thing in the right way. Yeah, and this is one of the things I'll just comment about my colleague Galena Rhodes here for a moment, because uh, we work really well together, but we have very different backgrounds. Yeah. I'm, I'm older, I'm, I'm more religious, uh, more conservative. She's non-religious liberal uh, from the Northwest. But we see all these things the same way. And it's very interesting. You know, partly we're psychologists compared right. to like sociologists and economists. As psychologists, we, and we do really good research, but we partly think, you know, people can change pe- their behavior. Yeah. People can make different choices. And it is sort of surprising the number of sort of intellectual elites that really would seem to challenge the whole idea that what you do sexually and romantically and about having children and with who, there's a lot of people that actually don't want to believe any of that matters, which seems yeah. kind of actually crazy. Well, it does, and, 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 and dangerous, hazardous, because, I mean, this is a big deal. These are your marriages. This is a lot of people are listening. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Scott Stanley, research professor from um, and, uh, in marital and family studies at the University of Denver. Uh, great work about what we need to know about what happens before we get married and how it impacts our lives. When we come back, we're going to continue to discuss this. Also talk about our wedding rituals. Lots of information coming up, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Everything you need to know, not everything, we can't get it all in on one show, but a lot of stuff you should know before you get married. It's hard to know who to believe, and so uh, who I like to believe are those that are on the front line of the research and the practical application of marriage enrichment skills 
And uh, one of the best I've ever found is Dr. Scott Stanley, who, along with Howard Markman and Galena Rhodes, they've been doing a long-term longitudinal study with a large sample of unmarried individuals. And then they were able to follow a group of them into their marriages. And now they can kind of tie what happened before a marriage to what happens in the marriage. And uh, today, Scott Stanley, Dr. Scott Stanley, is on the phone with us um, trying to teach us what else we need to know. Scott, thanks for being back with us. Thanks, Matt. Um, one thing I want to get to, because we were, before the break we were just talking about, uh, you know, that being really well-practiced at cohabitating and breaking up and being sexually active, those aren't usually great indicators, is one of the things your research found, for long-term marital health or, or satisfaction. But also talk about, I know one of the things you focused on is perspective. The perspective of how committed someone is to a marriage, that, that impacts as well. Yeah, this is the, in fact, I'm glad you're picking up on this because this was one of the most, this is one of the strongest findings that we have and that we talk about in the National Marriage Project Report. And uh, and hardly anybody in the media picked up on this one. It just, you know, maybe wasn't as sexy yeah. as the other ones. But the, uh, the finding was this. Uh, and it relates to a history of something we've looked at related to commitment. People that had thought clearly at at least a period of time in their relationship before marriage that they were more committed to the relationship than their partner. So probably especially if people had really thought that for a while. Um, it gets into complexities about how we measure it. But people that have really sometime thought, I'm just really more committed than my partner is to this, mm-hmm. but then married that person anyway, mm. were likely to be considerably less happy in their marriages. And it relates to this thing that we have studied on and off and we've seen glimmers of in, in our work, is that with this new, here's the theory of this for us, in this new world where there's so much less steps and stages and kind of structure to whether or not people are even dating and what they do and how they progress toward marriage. All this is ambiguous now. One of the things that ambiguity allows to have happen is it makes it easier for somebody who's really less committed than their partner to kind of hang out and be less committed without being fully discovered. Interesting. Now, in this case, you know, we are finding that people that, that, you know, they're sort of perceiving that this person's less committed to me. And what I would say to people that are uh, thinking about marrying somebody where they really kind of know, if they're honest with themselves, they're more committed than their partner, they should really think two or three times about doing it. I mean, they should, they should, that's a big caution sign. That's interesting because you're, you're going to feel it even more, I guess, poignantly after the marriage, after, after your marriage. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's all sorts of this isn't uh, these other things now I'll just mention aren't so much things we cover in the report, but it relates to all these things. If the person won't, for example, have a talk with you or talks with you over time, kind of defining what the relationship is and where it's going, that's a similar kind mm-hmm. of warning sign. Uh, for couples that we found this a uh, long time ago, it's an important finding. People that uh, live together, especially not only just living together before marriage, but especially living together before there's a clear commitment to marry, we find that that group's at higher risk. And one of the things that's characteristic of them is they're more likely to have two people that are at very different levels of devotion to each other. Mm. And that's stuff you you really want to know and you want to act on before marriage if you pick up that that's true. Because marrying is, it, it is a 
it's a it's a barrier to entry, right? And so it's it it causes you to have to think differently about your commitment levels than not being married, right? So cohabitating is a different relationship than a marriage relationship. Yeah, cohabiting, this is a great point. And we've shown this in a number of different ways now. Cohabiting by itself tells you nothing about how committed two people are to each other. Engagement tells you a lot. Mutually declared public plans tells you a lot. Um, being married, having a public wedding ceremony with lots of witnesses, all those things are strong signals of commitment. Hmm. But just living together, if a couple tells me at a party they're living together and I don't know anything else, I I mean, I can tell you from research, if I only know that, I don't know much of anything about how committed they are to each other. That's interesting. And and that may be, too, that people that are less prone to marry anyway just cohabitate more. Is that right? right? See, and that's that's part of that selection issue. Yeah. And, and this is where, you know, for some cohabiting couples, that kind of, you have to say, you have to acknowledge there's some couples out there, that's kind of working for both of them. Yeah, that's Either it. Of them that's all they want. A stronger commitment, and that's what they want. Where who really gets burned most about that is the person that's thinking, I want marriage, I want marriage for life, mm-hmm. I want it to be strong, and I'm thinking I'm just sort of going to slowly pull this person along um, and not push things too much, that person's the one that's, I mean, you, know, you don't want to push things too soon. Right. But if you're living in a sea of ambiguity in a, in a relationship that you're hoping is going to turn into something more, at some point, you know, some number of months in or whatever, at some point, you're really taking a big risk. Yeah. In fact, we're, we're, we're broadcasting from BYU, which is like the young newlywed, I mean, the young dating couple, yeah. prospective get married uh, capital of the world. You can just smell the hormones on this yep. campus. And, um, yep. but yeah, you probably studied it, but here's no, the deal. I, I, you you I need to send someone here, Scott, cause there's a lot to learn here, <laughs> but here's one of the cool it's things. They, they have this thing. And I don't know if it's a hip everywhere else, but here they say, they call them DTRs. Determine the relationship. Yeah. Do they call that everywhere? Okay. Yeah, it's a big deal here. We got to yep, define it. Yep. That's and so here's fun. one of the interesting things about that DTR idea. I'm uh, I'm a, a bit older. I won't say how old I am, but I've been around for a while. That concept in my day wouldn't even have existed. I mean, in my day, you're either going steady or yeah. you're not. You yeah, know, you're steady. Point, you, yeah. you, you figure that out, and that's how you communicate to other people. Right. The whole concept of needing to define the relationship has grown up because uh, of the sea of ambiguity that's we now have about romance and sex. And, and I think part of that ambiguity is really driven by people's Fear about marriage, fear about commitment, and 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 you understand that if you listen to people, you can understand what they're afraid of, and they're afraid of getting burned. Yeah. But at some point, ambiguity will burn you. Yeah, so the real the real enemy is the ambiguity. Yeah, I think at some point early on, it's natural. Yeah, and, yeah, it should you know, be yeah, kind of it's awkward. It's not like the, your third Friday, you're hanging out. <laughs> hey, how many kids we're going to have? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so let's talk babies. You're out of there. Right. Yeah. Um, well, actually, some people might like exactly that talk, but you know, for most people, that's that's a mistake. That's uh, so but, you know, a few months in, six months, what's yeah. going on here? Yeah. Well, I mean, eventually in, the parents happening? are going to ask, right? So what are your yeah. intentions? What are you doing? Yeah. Hey, talk about weddings, because it, it, there, there has to be a parallel here, Scott. Obviously, the biggest, baddest, most expensive weddings create the happiest marriages, right? Because well, that's what marketing yeah. tells us. That's what we see in Hollywood, right? Yeah, right. Um, and here's the, 
we do have this interesting finding. I think this finding is a little, it's more controversial. It's kind of a new finding uh, that the people that had, uh, who said they had a formal wedding, and then I think even more important than the wedding finding, the number of guests at the wedding did say something important about what people said later in terms of how what, how, how much quality they had in their marriage, mm. what their marital quality was. And, and we don't, you know, certainly money's partly in the mix. That gets back to that selection. And we didn't, we don't have a measure, for example, of parental wealth. We, we could control for the respondent's income and education and those kind and religious background. We could control for all that kind of stuff, racial background. But we didn't really know the parent's wealth. And that's probably part that's of what important, that means. Yeah. It, but there's, there's other things that that means, too, that relates to this whole idea of being making decisions and being public about what you're about. So, I mean, let's focus on the, the number of uh, wedding guests. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, do themselves a lot of harm by spending a ton of money on a wedding. So I, I don't want to play up that point. But, right. you know, for some, there's some wealth in the, the mix of that finding. But apart from that, there's really longstanding evidence in social psychology that when people make a public declaration of who they are, what they're about, what they're committing to do. Uh, and if you, if you look all through history, human beings have ritualized, you know, the beginning yeah. of big journeys, of big commitments. Um, the reason in part why that stuff's got some power is you really are declaring yourself in front of all these people that matter to you. Hmm. So in part, sure, somebody with more wedding guests, they, it's, that's a couple with more friends to begin with. So that's sure. in the mix, too. But there's also this other fact that would be, we really would believe would be partly causal. I really said this in front of all these people yeah. that matter to me. That's right. So I'm going to really, you know, follow through. And so a lesson for anybody there, whether they want a large wedding or not, or what they could afford, is when you get married, it's important to have the people there that matter to you as witnesses of your declaration, because that is going to help you follow through. That is such great news, because my daughter just got married, and we had a big group. But you can do it affordably, too, so you don't have to spend all this money. To kill yourself, that's right. But you want people to the witnessing of it is really important too, because I guess too, it it almost puts a stamp on ambiguity. It's not ambiguous. We're doing this. You know, I'm so glad you brought it back to that because if you think about it, it is an example of the kind of thing that's slowly going or rapidly going away in our culture. You know, all these steps and stages and things like you know, engagement slowly going away, being pinned is long gone. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Where did that go? is gone. Glass yep. rings, you know, every now and mm-hmm. then you can still see that. But all of those things, and then the big wedding, I mean, they're all the same kind of thing, which is a public declaration of your intentions about commitment. And you cannot be publicly declaring something about your commitment and be ambiguous at the same time. Oh, man. It really, it, yeah. it forces ambiguity. Yeah. If it is there, it forces yeah. it to the surface. Pick and a side, really huh? Helpful. Yeah, uh, I, I love it. We're talking with Dr. Scott Stanley, uh, again, a marital and family professor in, uh, of marital and family studies at the University of Denver, the author of many, many books. One of, I think, probably his best-selling is Fighting for Your Marriage, The Power of Commitment. Um, he co-authored some of the relationship curriculum um, prep, which is, I think, probably one of the most researched, most, I think, powerful uh, that I've seen extraordinary man teaching us how and what matters as we're as we're preparing to get married as our kids are getting married 
The wedding ritual shouldn't be overlooked. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about can you change your odds? Can you change your marriage odds? And uh, more, more interesting stuff from Dr. Scott Stanley. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We want to get right back to our guest. Dr. Scott Stanley is joining us, and um, he's a researcher for for more than 30 years. I, I, can that be true? Uh, Dr. Scott Stanley, welcome back to the show. That can't possibly be how true. Long have you been a, how long have you been researching? <laughs> Has it been 30 years? Uh, I started, yeah, I started working with Howard Markman when he was a brand-new assistant professor no at way. Bowling Green State University, and I was uh, a junior and this is 1977, and he and I are completely different people. Yeah. Just like Galena and I are different people, but he and I have worked together since 1977. Then did you go together to University of Denver, or did he fall, Did you follow him? He had come out here, and then uh, when my wife Nancy and I were each getting our master's in Ohio, I was in the Ph.D. program at Ohio University, uh, we decided it was better for her career-wise to get out of Ohio and get to get another, somewhere. Yeah. And Howard had come to Denver, and we, we, we came to Denver then in the early 80s. Uh, well, you did great work. I mean, that your prep program yeah. is truly, I think, the best. I mean, it's for sure the best research, but— I've seen it personally change lives. And the military that you're helping, I mean, these guys coming back from war, they need, they need help. And uh, you, yeah. you guys are providing it. Hey, talk about the odds. I mean, can people change their odds of marriage and marriage yeah. succeeding? I think people can change their odds at two crucial times in two different ways. If they're well before marriage, the fundamentally greatest way somebody can change their odds is to be more careful, go a little more slowly, and be wiser about who they choose. Hmm. Uh, and, and this is why, in some ways, people have a lot more ability to change their ultimate odds for happiness in marriage by going slower at that time, because it's about really choosing carefully who this is going to be with. So that's one key time. Yeah. And, but you're and, choosing, and you're not other, just choosing a human, right? You're not choosing a, a person. You're choosing... A social structure, uh, you're choosing a, a genetic structure, you're choosing a lot of different things, which is why going slower gives you more information. That's right. I mean, if you go slower, you can see what you think of the family. You can see what you think of uh, habits and tendencies. You can see how people deal with money. You can see whether they, you know, whether there's substance abuse issues. You know, yeah. you can see a lot by watching, as Yogi Berra said, uh, if you're watching, you know, <laughs> yeah. if, you give, if you give you give yourself some time to, to see. Now, the other key time people can change their odds is, okay, I'm married. You know, I've chosen this person. I've committed to this person. Now it's really not about looking around and I make the best choice. I mean, those comparisons will just kill you. Uh, the, the, the thing that you do now is you try actually not to make comparisons and not to wonder what if, and you decide, I'm here. I decided on this. I'm going to do my best. I'm yeah. going to give myself to this person. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to do what I need that's best for our kids, best for my spouse. And you have that attitude and then you act on it. And, and that's 
the way you can do the most once you're married. Yeah. The, the, old, the old, I guess, wives tell was, well, you know, just have a baby. Because once you have a baby, that makes everything better. <laughs> give us the, give us, as a man that has six children, uh, I, I want I want you to talk about that for a minute. What what you does know how that happens? Yeah. Right? <laughs> what does children exactly? I, I just I didn't figure that out till I finished my doctorate, and then I'm like, what? Why didn't anybody tell me? There's an insight here. <laughs> talk to um, us about children and marriage. There's mixed evidence. The studies go kind of back and forth, and it depends on the methodology. Some studies suggest, uh, and, and this is a true finding, I mean, some studies suggest that marriages take sort of a ding, especially with the first child, Yeah, uh, because that's a giant transition. Yep. It's not just us, you know, anymore, and just the lovey-dovey stuff, you know, now there's like a serious chore <laughs> and a person dependent on us, and that's a big change. Yeah. Um, there is some other research, though, that it, it goes both ways, that clearly some people do better when they have children. Other people struggle and don't kind of regain what they have when they have children. And I think the most important issue there is that, and this is not well researched, this is sort of more theory, but a lot of people are liking this idea, that I think a lot of how that goes depends on whether you can change your view of happiness in life from a sort of selfish Western idea of I'm in this love relationship with you and you're going to make me happy and we're mm. going to complete each other, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. That's not really going to leave you feeling real happy. Yeah, no, right. Or if you can actually either already have or shift or test in your partner ahead of time before marriage, this mindset that it's not just anymore about you making me happy, or even us making each other happy. But there's also another kind of happiness and deeper satisfaction here about building something together called a family. Hmm. And if we're really both of that nature, that we're happy together, building, gathers yeah, struggle, there's strain. You know, the happiest couples in marriage over time, it's not that they didn't struggle or right. didn't have difficulties with this child or this child. What you see in them is that there's this deeper satisfaction over the course of their life that we're doing this, you know, we're, we're getting through stuff, you know, we are a team. Yeah. That's the really good, deep happiness that you can have in marriage. Well, and two, it seems like your, your focus would change, like you're saying, from marital satisfaction, which might be one of the metrics we're using, to kind of a family satisfaction. So exactly. So right. family satisfaction is growing while marital satisfaction drops for a while. But then it seems like as family kind of goes away from you a little bit as they graduate, get older, if you haven't worked on your marriage, your marriage is going to be out there hanging in the wind. There's no doubt that a lot of people suffer more because they let their marriage languish and they don't make time together. I mean, so I think there really are two key ingredients there for it all really working long term. One is keeping some eye on the connection together and that friendship and the ability to have fun and, and, and enjoy each other, but also having that sense together that we're doing something here that's just bigger than you and mm. me or my own happiness. It's really about building something and raising these little people and getting them launched well in life. It's powerful. Your wife, your wife then studied marriage and family as well? No, she's actually a geologist. Oh, so, wow. Well, when, perfect when for Denver. We, uh, in the early 80s, yeah, we were thinking, where should we go for, for her? 
Uh, now we got out here just as the oil industry was crashing, so that <laughs> that was sort of our plan. It. But it didn't. Yeah. She ended up. Yeah, darn it. She, she ended up working for the state in sort of hazardous waste management kind of oh, interesting. stuff uh, for a number of years. Uh, and so that that worked out pretty well, but it wasn't quite what we planned. But when is life quite? No, isn't that funny? It never seems to kind of go as we planned. Yeah. Hey, I've got two questions, and you, so you'll have about a minute with each. One, I know, I know with your prep, one of the things you did focus on, too, is kind of a, a, a Christian prep, a, a, a spiritual or more religious-focused, Bible-oriented version of relationship enhancement. I, I'd love you to talk about that and, and maybe just talk a bit about how religion and, and maybe you know Christian values might also impact marriage. And also, if you would just tell us, I want to know— what Scott Stanley, as a human, as a, as a researcher, what has what have you been most grateful for when it comes to your own personal marriage? And so that you can lose the academic, but all the other knowledge you have, how has it impacted you personally? That's terrific. Two questions. First one, I, uh, an answer that I can give fairly directly that people can pursue if they want. And actually, uh, well, I'll say what the, the deal is. We have a, a book that first came out in 98 called A Lasting Promise, which is a deeply uh, Christian, theologically integrated version of the things that we teach in prep. And that's out in a new edition this year, 2014. It, it's, it's a terrific update, and I mm. think a lot of your listeners Worth would, it. would really like it. And that earlier version, by the way, I don't know about the newer one, but that was actually used uh, quite a bit for a while at BYU. In was some it? Of yeah. The classes with the undergraduates. Yeah, I believe uh, that. So, so that book's just out. Nice update, revision. It's got a nice blend of the research and theology in a, in a way that's real accessible to people. On your second, your second question, yeah. one of the things that I, you, you, you can't quite know when you start the journey how things are going to go. But one of the things that I'm really thankful for, Nancy and I, you know, we've been we'll be married uh, 30 two years here in December. You don't know all the ups and downs. You don't know the struggles. And you, what you you don't even know, like, there's things you'll struggle with together, like, what about this kid? You know, the whole idea you're only as happy as your least happy child, right. you know, or that kind of thing. So that's the real together stuff. But the really, the best stuff, and I'm really thankful for this, is when either of you are really struggling with something that's more hitting you hard. You know, it may not be about the family. It could be about your work or your career or your health. The real power in a great marriage is when you can be a friend and, and show that emotional yeah. support and acceptance for yeah. each other when each other's struggling or not at your best or just kind of feeling like be there. Up, you know. Yeah, be that yeah, part in there. Wow, good stuff. Dr. Scott Stanley, so appreciate you. Honestly, uh, just good to have you. We're going to take a break, and uh, we're going to continue this discussion, folks. Really, think about that. Uh, There's so many good things, so many important things we're learning about life, about marriage, about love. This is never going away, folks. We're either going to learn this, we're going to get good at this, or we're going to struggle Let's 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 take over our lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, continue the discussion with three questions you need to ask your children and have them think about before they get married. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about before I do, right? Everything we should be thinking about, teaching, making sure our children know, talking about before they say I do and get married. Just had a wonderful discussion there with Dr. Scott Stanley, uh, Stanley, who I'm telling you, there's just some people that work way hard, get really good at what they do. And uh, you know you can believe him. Scott Stanley is one of those for me. But uh, today uh, I also wanted to get into some other things I've learned. But we every time Scott kept saying stuff, it, it was making you, Sean, cringe. Like he would say, you really <laughs> ought to slow down. You ought to slow down. You ought to slow yeah. down. Now, why would you cringe? Well, because I got married very, very quickly. You got like shot, not shotgun. No, it wasn't shotgun. <laughs> but you got fast. How fast? It was, uh, well, my wife and I met online. By the way, let me make sure. James, are you listening? Yes. Okay, you listen to this. Okay. <laughs> um, this is not something I would suggest people actually do. You met online. But we met online December 20th. December 20th, complete stranger. Yeah. My birthday, by the way. Okay. So, <gasps> cool. Ooh, Great weird. day. Um, the next April 26th, we got married. Four months, six days later. Yeah. You're married. Married. How long until you guys were engaged? Uh, that was in March. Wow. Wow. What took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. What took you so long? So when he would say, you really ought to slow down, you but, ought to uh, get to you know, know each other's families. Yeah. Then again, my wife and I were older when we got married as well. Well, I mean, you weren't like 80. Older. No, we were in our 30s though. Yeah. Yeah, so you were like, well, we got to start having babies. Mm, yeah. Before everything <laughs> dries up and dies. That's interesting. Well, so, but it so was we, had, we had life experience. Years of yeah, love we, we've been married 17 years. So it worked. Mm-hmm. It's, it's because you've been focusing on what you can do now that you're married. Yes. Now you have four daughters. I do. But before we do, there's a lot of advice we can give. I'm going to give three questions we need to ask our kids and have them think about before okay. they get married. But you've got you found some story about what people do to, to married people, to married people, newly married people. But it's great advice. I this think one of those advice. three questions you have should be: What kind of friends do you have, and do you yeah. trust them on while you're away? That's the question you should say: is, Should <laughs> I ever leave my my keys to my home right. with my friends when I go well, there, away? There was a couple: Jamie and Emily Faro. Yeah, they got married. You know, they they went through the the whole thing. Had the nuptials. Yeah, exactly. They're going on their honeymoon, so they hand over their keys to their friends so their friends can watch their cats. (laughs) (laughs) See, this might even be a case for why you shouldn't have a cat till you're married. Well, that's possible, too. So they went to Italy. Nice holiday. Wonderful honeymoon. Probably two weeks or so. So I don't know. Just a way long enough to. Mm hmm. Well, it was, it was long enough for their friends to do something to their house. What ta- Tell about what they did. Well, they came back and they had a, according to this article, a noteworthy welcome. Oh, no. That can never bode well. Uh, yeah, their friends took 14,000 Post-it notes and basically wallpapered the whole first floor of the house. 14,000 Post-it notes. Yes. Wow, they, I mean, and, and I mean, I mean, they covered it. Wall, they, wall. These post-it notes were right next to each other. Why didn't they make it easier on themselves and like use poster boards? I don't know. Wallpaper. Wallpaper. Well, <laughs> yeah, it took them eight hours 
to do you know what though the deed they'll have uh, post-it notes for the rest of their lives. No, they're. I mean, they're done. No, you just leave them. On, I would leave them on the wall, <laughs> and then I would just write the note on the wall, and then stick it where I need. Oh, well, there was it. one yeah. post-it note that had a no- that had something written on it. It was on the TV screen, and it said, "Sorry, yeah, welcome back." <laughs> wow. But yeah, uh, but they actually expected this because this same couple. Oh, they had paid. actually put 3,000 balloons in another couple's house when they went away. Oh, okay. Vacation. So it's payback. And by the way, it took them two and a half hours to get rid of all the post-it notes. Honestly. That's that, too much. That's enough to not get you married. Right? That's enough to get well, a divorce. But you no, know, that would be enough to say you're not my friend anymore, I think. You need to divorce your friends. <laughs> well, okay. So that's one way to improve a marriage, I guess. Mm-hmm. Post-it note up. Well, it was it was a nice two and a half hour activity that husband and wife got to spend together. (laughs) Yeah, a bonding. You know what? There's a lot of other things you could have been doing. That's true. Like taking care of their cat. Mm -hmm. Poor cat, neglected. Okay, so here's the cat wasn't covered in post-it notes. I don't think it back. The cat stuck to the wall. Hey, you've got. uh, Imagine this though. Now, Sean, you have four beautiful daughters. I do. How old your oldest? Fifteen. So your 15-year-old comes to you and um, – Turning 16 next let's month. Let's say – let's give her let's give her 10 years. OK. She's 25. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Dad, I'm, I'm in love. OK. He's, um, he's a drummer in a band. <laughs> Would not surprise me. <laughs> OK. So what do you, what do, you do? What, what's your advice? What do you do? First of all, I tell her, go for the guitar player. <laughs> yeah, always go for the guitar player. They're up front. More lucrative. <laughs> People can see that. Less equipment has That's to be. Right. <laughs> it's easier to move their gear, and it's less pounding on your head. Exactly. So what do you say to them? Well, well I mean, because this is the moment. And, or what if she comes to you and says, Dad, how do I know if I'm really in love? Yeah, that's a good, good question. It's a tough yeah, question. It's a tough question. So I have three questions you, you'd want to go process with your children mm-hmm. that, are, that are falling in love and starting to get there. Okay. okay so what's the first question? Question one? number one. First of all, you have to figure out and ask them what does – and you heard Scott Stanley talk about it a lot. What does a marriage commitment really mean to you? What are you willing to give up? So when you commit to something else, you are committing to not having something else. And yeah. that's what he finds in his research. When we finally commit and we get in, we're also – Committing officially to not have other things. Does that uh, does that uh, have a? I mean, is that going to have an effect on the I want it all society? Yeah, I think. If we're, I think. If we're, I mean, that's what society teaches is you can have it all, right? But then that's also the society that's teaching cohabitating mm-hmm. and all these other things, which Doctor Stanley teaches aren't really correlating very well with long term relationships. But in a marriage commitment, they need to know what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to lose? Uh, and it's a pretty interesting question because we always talk about marriage, you know, through th- sickness and in health, through good times and bad, through thick and thin. If I were you, I would talk to your kids about what those times look like. Let me show you what thick that's, and thin th- that's mean. That's very good advice to give. I mean, and what does, what does uh, you know, sickness and in health? Okay, so the second question I'd ask, how do you feel about yourself when you are with your significant other? That's a very good question too. Because a lot of times when we're all chemicaled up, I call it yearning, and you're all yearning up, yearning up, you, um, it's easy to be into them. But you actually kind of lose your sense of self because you're so into them. Those rose-colored glasses get on, get on your eyes pretty quick. That's exactly right. But if you notice that you're, you're more tentative, you're more worried, you're more afraid of what they might do, if you're more afraid of making a misstep, 
if you're if you're consciously trying to avoid blowing it mm-hmm. then those are feelings of nervousness and anxiety and some of that's normal you know on date 1 but by date 30 you ought not be feeling this sense of inadequacy or fear. You should be feeling more confident. They should be feeling more confident. They should feel like this person is there. I mean, a comment you might hear them say is they make me feel like I can do anything. And they don't just say that, but you actually see that they're helping your, your child do stuff, education, occupation, living their values, stuff like that. Last question I'd make sure we're asking our children to think about. What are your biggest life's dreams and goals? And how does your fiancé fit into that? I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody that wants this career. They want this certain lifestyle. They want all of this. But then they're dating a drummer. Yeah. Or somebody or a musician. And the musician's life is not going to necessarily jive with a really good stay-at-home life. Yeah. I want to be a professor of Mm -hmm. something. That's right. I want to stick around here and study this whatever. And, or I want to travel. But I'm going to marry a drummer. It's no. right. I want to travel the world. I want to live in big cities. But you're married to somebody, a horticulturalist that wants to live out in the middle of you know the rainforest. So have them talk about what their dreams are, their goals are, and and start asking questions. The power of asking a question, especially if your child is dating someone you're not loving, you don't have to ask a question like, "Why are you doing that? What is your problem?" Just ask. So help me understand how you see this fits. Show me how do you see this will work in the long run. And a lot, if they're if they're giving you a lot of answers like, "Dad, it, it'll work out," just say, "Great." <laughs> yeah. So just help me tie the knots. Help me help me you know make sense of all of this. Questions are a great way, without even like rhetorical questions, where I don't need an answer today. Can I? Have, I, I want you to think about it. Can I have mom do that? Sure. Okay. Sure. And whatever you do, don't get married in four months. I think that's what we've learned from today. It worked for me, but I I would not suggest that yeah. for it's no. not for everybody. No. Well, but again, and you, when you kind of know, you kind of know. True. So it may not have mattered. I mean, what are you going to do? Just not do it once you know? Yeah. Hmm. Good work, Shawnee. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Sarah Gowans is going to join us. She is going to teach us um, a lot of tools, a lot of information about. How to prepare your children physically, socially, emotionally, spiritually for their possible future partner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Sarah Gowans. She's bringing muffins. She's the muffin man. Man, she's the muffin man. Uh, Sarah Gowans, you got to know about her. She has a degree in elementary education. She's a certified foot zoonologist. We'll get to that. Extensive studies in healthy eating, which is what she's trying to do for us. Mind-body-spirit connection. She's a uh, blog manager and writer on the happygal.com blog. You got to go check it out. Some would even say she is the blog. <laughs> but every time I say that, people get mad at me. Yeah. You're going to get I'm, me I'm fired. I'm creating competition. I like to just create a little spark because it's good for business. Okay. Sarah loves being active, healthy, enjoys running, cycling, yoga, hiking, and her new husband, Joe, who's not with you today. 
He's not. Joe's not to. I don't want to diminish you. Joe's my favorite part of you coming on the show. I'll tell him to come next time. Would He's... you rather have Joe or the muffins? Oh, the muffins. Okay. Because Joe could call it in. <laughs> no, but Joe is the most dedicated, loving man I've ever seen. I actually think he is listening. Is he? He loves you. He does. A lot. Yeah. You guys, it's like you're married. <laughs> For a whole year now. But isn't that great? It is great. And I love Joe, it. Joe stepped into a family with four daughters. And you're going to teach us about what you should teach, what you're trying to teach these daughters so that they can have a life with a Joe. Their yeah. Own Joe. If they could, seriously, if they could find someone as awesome as oh, yeah. he is, I oh, would yeah. be a happy mama. Joe doesn't even have to work. <laughs> At being good? What no, do you mean? Just a, he just he is. Just, he can always go anywhere you go. That's what's so great. He's got oh, a good oh, life. Oh, I see what you're saying. I thought you meant work at marriage. I'm no. like, Matt, no, but it's he work. Trust is it me. work? It's always work. It is, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But anything that's worth anything is work. So That's right. Well, and yeah. that's why when you're teaching your kids, maybe the number one thing you teach them is it's work. Life is work. Yeah. It's not just this great feeling and then yeah. you know, you'll have it forever. you got to work at it. Yep. And it's not a fairy tale. You're not going to just slide along and glide along or whatever yeah. it's it is definitely work and it's not always going to be easy and that's okay see so. that's that's actually great advice what i love about you sarah is you always talk about you are the queen i would call you of balance like and you may not Ooh. feel like you live it because <laughs> nobody can live perfectly balanced no i mean if you would know that maybe if you've ever followed person. sean <laughs> if you ever followed sean after he had to go do those workouts yesterday we had, we had a day off. Did you guys go work out together? Well, not really. Uh, we had an off-site meeting with our, with our company here. Oh. And they took him. And I missed it. I missed it because I had to go change okay. <laughs> my clothes. But Sean went and Sean did ropes courses and all these things. And apparently he was off balance. Did you get it on video? I'd like to see. <laughs> no videos. <laughs> it is, there were videos except they were all confiscated. Oh, I see. Because this is a broadcasting company. <laughs> that could have gotten out very easily. Yeah, yeah. But I did capture some on my phone. I'll okay. Be You'll those. show me later? Yeah. They're, okay, they're cool. fantastic. I'm excited. So when I say you're about balance, if you're going to teach your kids something, I'm going to bet that it's going to be balanced with kind of body, mind, spirit. Absolutely. Yeah. Teach that's us. what it's all about. So what do you need to teach your kids? And this is just, you, you could teach what you taught your daughters. You could teach that to boys. Yeah. It's not just oh, only totally. For girls. Right. Yes. This is universal, but I just have daughters, so that's kind of what I relate to. By the way, do you want a son? Because I've got five. <laughs> you have five? Sons? I'll switch a daughter for a son. I didn't realize that you had, because you have six I kids. I have six kids. Only five one boys. daughter? Mm-hmm. <gasps> and she's married and already doesn't need us. Oh, how did you do it teaching, preparing her for marriage? Uh, you know what? That's what we forgot to do. Oh. But she has a very patient husband that was incredibly prepared. I don't believe that. I bet you she's she, totally prepared. They're actually very prepared. But I don't. I never felt like I was preparing them. Like I yeah. never thought I will now teach you. No. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just life. So I don't know if that's the difference between a mom and a dad or if Maybe. it's a personality thing. But as a mother, I have been very conscious have you about really? yeah, preparing my kids. And maybe not necessarily for marriage, but for life. Life. And marriage goes along with that. See, oh, I, I'm probably just neglectful. <laughs> well... Maybe you should go to counseling or something. <laughs> uh, nah. Nah, I already go to counseling every day. Um, so what what do I need to teach my kids? So you teach me. One thing for sure is you need to teach them how to make muffins yes. with whole wheat or whole, yeah, so, what's it called? 
So these these muffins that I brought are whole grain. Mm. They're whole grain spelt. So I ground the spelt mm. into flour and use that flour. And they're so they're really healthy and they're sweetened with honey. So it's a oh. natural sweetener. Well, it's too bad. You should have brought more for everyone. Because <laughs> there's only I think there's only like twelve here. Uh huh. Well, I couldn't remember how many people were. You know here, what? So. I, I'll let him split one. Okay. So ten for you, and yeah. James gets one, and yeah. yeah okay. Sean doesn't like. Muffins. I was actually going to bring quinoa because I remembered you, yeah. but I didn't have time. Those take a little longer. So next time for you, next Sean. Time. I'll you don't bring have quinoa. to always bring food. I know, but I love it. But so when you do, it, I love sharing it just makes healthy us, cooking. It, we're shallow, but it makes us like you a lot more. Uh, oh. <laughs> so yeah. So so anyway, for my daughters or sons too, this is important yeah. for sons too. Is cooking is a, a huge, huge one. So and this is so. Preparing your kids for marriage, there's physical preparation, which what I mean by that is like cooking and yeah. cleaning and work and hygiene. Just, yeah. yeah. Yep, exactly. So there's that. Yep. And then there's emotional mm-hmm. preparation because oh. you got to be emotionally yeah. healthy too. That's right. And how to deal with emotions. Yeah. And then spiritually healthy as well with your, and you know, your spirit and yourself and in your God and mm-hmm. all of that. So because it's all encompassed into one soul, one person. That's right. So. Well, and and it, what's interesting is, so if you're physically struggling, then you better be spiritually strong or emotionally <laughs> strong, right? Yeah, because, sure. So you can kind of compensate to a degree. Yeah. But you, you're teaching too. Let's let's learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Teach us. So what do we need so, to know? Okay. So in the physical aspect, I do this with my girls is um, if you want to teach healthy cooking, for example, um, have them do it with you. If you are in the kitchen cooking as a mother, I have my kids. I say, hey, I'm going to go make dinner. Do you want to help? And, um, you know, I'll say I'm going grocery shopping. What do you guys want? And I'll let them be a part of the process so that they are invested in it. Do, it seems like in my world that just slows everything down. It, Yep, it does. <laughs> so you, you're just saying it'll have to slow down. Yeah. Because they need to learn. Yeah. I would even, I would love my kids to go shopping, but they, they won't. But they'll give, they'll give us a list, but I would yeah. you know love to be able to send them. Oh, my daughter hands me a list every time I go yeah, out the really. door. Here's what I want, mom. But <laughs> um, yeah, so for example, I actually um, invited my 10-year-old to cook dinner with me a couple nights ago. And knowing, okay, I wanted to just do a quick dinner. The meal I was making was pretty easy because yeah. I wanted her to be able to do it. Nuggets. It took us, I think, an hour and a half to two hours <laughs> to cook dinner. But wow. I just, I was kind of just in the kitchen supervising her and yeah. she was doing it. Wow. And so what I could have made in maybe 45 minutes, yeah. it doubled the time. But I'm pretty sure one of my kids would have died in that 45 <laughs> minutes. Like they, yeah, that's interesting. But so, if they were helping, they wouldn't yeah. have noticed their own hunger. She's not complaining because she's doing it. And I also have older kids. So like the teenagers, teenagers were off doing their yeah. sports or whatever they're doing. While she's cooking dinner but, for them, so but cook. I mean, have you? You don't probably know this, but a hot pocket only takes about three minutes. <laughs> I don't even know what to say, Matt. You just that. put it in a little cooking sleeve, <laughs> oh. and then you throw it in your microwave, and you hit three. Okay. And the next thing you know, you just got a bubbling lava hot pocket of joy. And then you have bubbling stuff inside your body too. No, that's... doesn't that sound great? <laughs> So, so good. Yeah. I think I'm hungry. So an hour, two two hours it took It you. did. It took a while. But think Healthy. about this, though, is that she gained a skill. Yeah, absolutely. She learned. I taught her how to chop carrots. Did you And really? I taught her how to saute, you know, onions. And she she's learning that's now great. so that when she's married, she no, can bring great. that 
to that's her right. marriage. And, so. and my sons, I should be doing that more. That's Absolutely. a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Hot pockets. You, man does not live by hot pocket alone. I guarantee that's you, your future daughters-in-law will thank you if you teach your boys I know. how to I think you're right. Don't you think? They totally <laughs> yeah. Will. That's a so, good idea. What they else can do we need out. to teach them? Okay. So um, another one that I wanted to touch on with the physical part is financial. Yeah. So that's a big deal, I think. A, a lot of kids don't have a clue. As a marriage therapist, is that the right yeah, word? <laughs> ish, yeah. Um, what do you, would you say is one of the top Oh, it's the number one thing. That it's in a, a marriage. It's the number one thing we fight about. Yeah. Is finances. So that's a big one for me that, and I've just started doing it. I wish I would have started when they were younger, yeah. but better late than never. I just implement, implemented a system um, in our family where the kids are earning their allowance. Mm-hmm. I don't, I've never really given yeah. allowance to my kids. So but they're going to earn it and then they they're can put it in it. the bank and then. Yep. And so they, they manage it. My 16 year old does her whole, she, she buys her own clothes, her own makeup, everything. That's great. And so that they can learn how to manage it. And there's a, um, we just hooked her up on mint.com and so that she can categorize her Mm -hmm. spending and she has, um, savings goals and all of that. So teaching them how to manage their finances so they're smart with it. Well, that's a big deal. Again, it might slow things down a bit, Yeah, but slow is fast. In the long run. In the long run. Yep. It beats, you know, bankruptcy court or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. We're going to come back with you, Sarah. Sarah, again, she's a blogger, blog manager, writer at um, thehappygal.com. And she's the muffin woman. <laughs> Today, she's the muffin woman. Bringing us some wonderful treats. We're going to take a break. We're going to be right back after this break. More with Sarah Gowans on The Matt Townsend Show. friends. We are back with Sarah Gowans from thehappygal.com. She's the blog manager. Uh, she's the big blog, they call her. The queen of the blog. Jenny and I. That's right. <laughs> Jenny, Jenny Layton. I mean no disrespect. You guys do a great job. I always just try to pit you against each other. I know. It doesn't work. No, we're, it doesn't. Like, we're like this. You're too we united. Tight. You're too sisters. close. Yep. Sisters of the it same blog. It takes a whole team, actually. There's know, more than just You've us. got a whole team there. <laughs> uh, but uh, Sarah is talking and teaching us today about how she is trying to prepare her daughters for life, giving them life skills, and eventually skills that they'll be able to take into their marriage. Uh, she's talked to us that she she's trying to do this physically, emotionally, spiritually, so they're kind of balanced, right? Yep. We've already disputed the fact that uh, hot pocket apparently does not constitute a meal. Well, we've got that no, out there. It doesn't. <laughs> you, you're trying to teach your kids to cook and cleaning, and one of the ones that I loved is um, and, and fi- I mean financial organizing and make yeah. sure you're on top of your finances, but is is organizing yep. and cleaning, yeah, because. And when organizing kind of – it's one thing to like give your child an assignment. Mm-hmm. It's another to ha- teach them how to walk into a place that's a little messy and create order. Yep. You know what I mean? It, it's a skill and it has to be taught. You don't just come with it. And yeah. that's one of the things we do on the Happy Gal blog is we teach women that. Yeah. 
But how cool is it if you learn it young? Like, if you know, right. if you're a kid and you learn it and then you just go into a marriage already knowing it because that can be really stressful when you're a mother or a husband. That's right. Um, you know, to go, how do I handle all this paperwork, this schoolwork? This oh, it just piles work, up. Whatever, everything that's coming we in, all these papers. We pile stuff. And then we don't know what to do. And then when we're overwhelmed, we kind of just throw most of it away. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I used to do that yeah. before I learned how to manage so you it better. the right way to do yeah, it. Right. Yeah, I just threw everything away because <laughs> well, I didn't want it around. Well, I mean, you really won't need it unless there's like a court hearing. Yeah, so hopefully you <laughs> won't need yeah, it. Hopefully that won't happen. Yeah, so I, I actually go with my girls. When it's time for them, when their room is just getting crazy, mm-hmm. I'll get in with them. And again, it comes to it takes more time yeah, in the short term, does. but it's so worth it in the long run because yeah. now when they're older – they can do it themselves. So when, when my teenagers were little, I would go in their room with them and I would say, okay, it's time to de-junk your room because it's really messy. Yeah. And so well, stuff's growing. <laughs> yep. When they clean it and it doesn't stay clean for more than an hour, that's when I know it's time to that's de-junk. Right. Yeah. So we go in and I teach them, okay, you know, you've got your three boxes here, one for trash, one for charity, one that you're keeping. And, and we go through and we sort and I do it with them. That's and great. I don't just do it for them. I have no. them come in and do it with me and I'm teaching them as I go. And do I'm you- not... Do you take their phone away? Well, this was a long time ago okay. when I started doing that's it before. What I would do. But yes, now that's what I would do because that's Don't good. make me take your phone away. Yeah. But see, it seems like these physical things, you know, cooking, financials, cleaning, they in a way seem easier to teach mm. than emotional mm-hmm. skills. Yeah, so how it do you could get, be. And what are some of the emotional skills you try to teach? Well, one of them is um, I want to teach them how to to communicate yeah. how to resolve conflict. And I start out with each other because when they're young and even when they are teenagers as well, but um, just how do they resolve a fight with each other? Like yeah. mom, she stole my shirt or whatever, you know, the, the problem is um, I t- sit down with them and I try to teach them. Okay. Tell me how you're like, how are you feeling? What's, yeah. Just teaching them how to express their emotion because that's a big deal. Well, if they... uh, emotion's the number one killer of conversation, right? So if you can't, if they can't manage their emotion, then you're not going to get them talking. You're not going to get mm-hmm. them resolving. You're not going to get progression. Yeah. So creating a safe environment while they're younger and the stakes aren't as high um, to, for where they can have a conversation and learn how to resolve that conflict is is important. And do you, so, do you put them in that t-shirt? Have you seen that where um, people that fight, you you have a, a really like a you use a, a dad's T-shirt and you draw on it. I can't remember what you write on it, but it's like we argued so we get to stay together or something like that. And then you put them both in this shirt and you put both their heads. I have not seen that. And they have to walk around with the shirt on. Hilarious. And then you know what you do? Then you take them to the store. <laughs> Did you do that with your kids? No. Oh, okay. But I think I that'd be hilarious. But they, so that way they have to until you guys can get along. Yeah. What I did actually, my kids make fun of me now that I used to do this, but we did what I would call circle time. Oh boy. <laughs> and I don't know if this is no, the right thing great. or not. I just made it up. But I would when they were just fighting, fighting, I'd be like, Okay, it's circle time and we I would sit them down, I'd make them sit across from each other and talk it out. And I would, you know, if I needed to, I'd mediate yeah, or whatever. That's great. But I would have them say, you know, okay, I want you to say something nice to get yeah. the mood lightened up a little bit and then I would just do what I was telling you before where I'd say, tell me how you're feeling. Now you listen, you don't get to talk while this person yeah. and just teach them how to resolve that. See so circle, circle time. time. <laughs> it sounds great. 
In fact, we we might do that later on the show. But you have to show up. Yeah. You can't go and yeah, you can't just like, go in. like with the ropes course. When no, you didn't. I, I was really tired. <laughs> but uh, you know what I like to do? I, I I don't like to do it. But there's always there's circle time. But there's always like the wooden spoon time. Uh huh. But that's less effective. Is that the one where one person's holding? No, that's where you gr- grab the spoon and the kids start running. Oh, because <laughs> they're like, "Dad's got a spoon." <laughs> I just I, I grew up in a in an older kind of mentality in the family where the wooden spoon did a lot of the talking. Yeah, I did as well. You know what I mean? My that mom's actually school. feels really bad about right. that. I mean, that's no. great, but but we've evolved. Yeah. Now we do the circle. Yeah. And yeah. I, I would and not I've, introduce a stick into the circle. Well, I've actually heard a friend of mine who had a, a stick where stick, that's where yeah. whoever had the stick was talking yeah. and the other person could not. That's right. And they talked as long as Nat- they wanted. the Native American tradition. When is it? It is. I that's didn't what know that. Except the problem is when you have two people that don't like each other and then you hand one of them a stick. <laughs> It just it's why it, it makes for didn't. great video. Yeah, <laughs> but it may it's horrible on. I'll try that instead of circle yeah. time, especially immature people. But I love the circle time too because you're giving them a process. Mm-hmm. So sometimes just having a process to handle the conflict is all they need. Yeah, that's all I teach when I'm teaching adults how to not fight. Is there's a process. Yeah. So the minute the emotions are coming on, we're going to do this process. Yeah, and at the Happy Gal, we call it systems. Yeah, systems yes. are great. Yeah. Organizing systems that's right. or whatever. habits, patterns. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. See, same wow. page. I didn't even know when I was a younger mom what I that I was. That you were doing, doing it that. right. Yeah. That was beautiful. <laughs> see, but I think a lot of it's intuitive, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. As moms, I mean, I, sure. I think that we always think we need to go get more help, but sometimes you just need to think. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to get my kids? You know, and together? I like that point because I think sometimes as moms we are hard on ourselves, and dads too. I always say that I'm mom because I'm a mom, but dads too. Um, that we are hard on ourselves or think we don't know, but give yourself credit that you have that intuition. Right. You know it. Just, yeah. you know. And you have insight into your kids that yeah. nobody else would get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so true because you know them. So you've got physical taken care of or some of them. Emotional would be mm-hmm. expressing your emotions, learning to communicate. Listen. The uh, love circle. What'd you call it? Circle time. Circle time. <laughs> I'd call it circle K. I like that. That's where you can get a good beverage and sit down and. Yeah. Talk. Next time we'll incorporate the beverage. Now that they're yeah. teenagers, they might need that. Yeah, a little soda. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one is spiritually. How do we uh, prepare them spiritually for life and marriage? I think this one is the most important of all, honestly, because if you can teach them character when they're little, that goes oh, so far. Yeah. And if you can get them a connection with God or if you don't believe in God, a higher you know being or whatever. Yeah, morality, just morality, yeah. just being moral and just and good to other people. But having that connection um, with your own spirit, with God, and then just being a person who's committed. And my kids, I'll tell them, if they make a commitment to something and then mm-hmm. later they're like, I don't feel like going, I'm not going to go, I'm, uh, you're going. You're going. what I'll tell them. Because, and I'll tell them, it's because you made the commitment to right. go. So yeah. that's why you you need to do it. That's good. And so it's not just, you know, I'm saying you're just going because I said so. It's I try to tell them why uh-huh. I am saying what I'm saying to them. So saying, you know, you made that commitment you and it's important the, to follow right. through. So we talked that. about that earlier with Dr. Scott Stanley that we're this more selfish generation where we don't always think we have to follow through on the commitment. Mm-hmm. So if you're teaching your children well, no, we've, yeah. we make a commitment. So if you're going to do this, yeah. and then we, we do the, the the weddings publicly. 
I loved that conversation that you had with him. That was because by yeah. doing it publicly, you own it. Yeah. See, I used to think we just would put the bride's family on one side and the groom's family on the other, so you could divide up your friends in case there was a problem. <laughs> you know, you knew which ones had to go with you because uh-huh. they sat on your side. But apparently, there's more to it. Like this is us committing to our friends. Yeah. When you have all these people watching you, That's saying, "Powerful." I watched you make your vows. Because yeah. have you ever noticed when people are struggling, they start. Rewriting history. Like, I don't even know if I ever loved him. And you're like, are you kidding? You were such a goofball at your wedding. Do you not remember that? Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have it's eyes. documented. That's right. <laughs> eyes on the prize. Yeah. I, yeah, I like that. That's awesome. Very That's, powerful. So character. And, um, and then I like, too, that the relationship with God or mm-hmm. a deity or a higher power. Yeah. I just think that's really important because if you're connected with God, I mean, I, I believe so strongly in God. And to me, that's, I teach my kids, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. the biggest deal of all is where do you turn when you have hard times when, cause I, I tell my kids, that's they right. will come. That's right. Oh, they it, will. Marriage is hard yeah. and life is hard. Yeah. And so when it comes, where are you going to turn? And so as a mother, that's one of the biggest things that I've tried to teach my kids is yeah. where they turn when it gets hard. Well, and that's important because where a lot of people turn are to their friends. Or to an addiction. Or, or to an addiction or, or to another human, yeah. another person. But if, if there's research that shows that if, um, if your friends have gone through a divorce, the likelihood of you divorcing goes up. Hmm. So if I'm turning to my friends who have been divorced to give me advice – on my marriage. It doesn't mean they don't have good advice. Yeah. But like Scott Stanley was talking about earlier, they have gone down the path uh-huh. of getting out. And so that might mean that they're less committed in general, or it might also mean they they found a way. Yeah. And I, w- I don't know that I'd let them be your best guide. Yeah. I'd go to professionals that don't have a vested interest one way or another. And who is more professional than God? That's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) So, yeah. So if they can learn to turn to him and just have that connection, not only with him, but with themselves. And when I say spiritual, I'm talking about your own spirit, yourself. Yeah. Feeling connected connected to yourself. And then connect with God and yourself, and then you'll know what to do, and yeah. you'll, he'll guide you through it. doesn't mean it's That's not right. going to happen. That's right. The hard times are going to well, come. Well, and it doesn't mean it's not going to be – it's just going to be bliss, right? you got to be tested. Yeah, it's, well, it's been bliss for me for a year. Well, I know, but <laughs> you also married Joe. I know. <laughs> you, and, you, and you make muffins, so Joe's very happy. He does like it when I cook. Hey, Sarah, are you going to stick around with us? I would love to. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to take a break. Sarah Gallons is here. She's here to stay. She's now our official, what are we calling you? Co-cook. Co-host. Co-cook. I like that. Co-host of the day. You're stuck with me. I like it. I like it a lot. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about guy versus girl when it comes to wedding planning. Merritt and James are going to test their skills in a wedding plan competition This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. That's the hoedown music, meaning we got to wrap up the show. But before we do, we, we had a caller call in. Trent from Arizona had a comment about teaching our kids about weddings. Trent, are you there? I am. How are you, my friend? 
I'm well yourself. Excelente. So uh, w- what's your comment? Well, I was just wondering when you talked about making those public weddings or those commitments publicly, how does that work with a temple wedding? Yeah, no, that's huge. So for those that uh, aren't, and that's a great question, Trent. So uh, let me answer it. Um, here's the deal. Those that aren't uh, LDS, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you may have seen temples all over the country, those beautiful white Mormon temples or different colored temples. You see them all over. Well, you only members in um, in a state of, what would we say, devotion. I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you say that. Members of the church get a temple recommend, it's called, and they're allowed to go in these temples where we perform weddings and other ceremonies and rituals like that. So our question here by Trent is, here all of a sudden we are talking about the importance of a commitment, and then only certain people can go in the temple to watch the commitment be made. And that's it's a it's an interesting kind of dichotomy. In the temple, you can get, you know, people, groups, 20, 30, 40 people can watch you um, make that covenant or promise to each other. But it's it's a big deal. A lot of times what I've seen, um, because not everybody can go to the temple, not everybody can make it in the temple, it ends up sometimes dividing a family because some can't be there to see the ceremony. So there's other ceremonies. That sometimes they'll have a ring ceremony. Um, sometimes they'll have uh, other, you know, they'll, they'll still have a reception where people can hang out and connect. I think the powerful thing about it is, in the end, we're also bringing God back in and devotion back in. A lot of the research about uh, marriage and, and effective, healthy you know, marriages long-term is they share a very common basic foundation spiritually. So that's part of the temple ceremony as well. So it really is a good question, Trent, because I, I think in the end, like Dr. Uh, Stanley taught us earlier, it's probably not about huge volumes of people. You don't need tens of thousands there. You just... You need the people you love most, you're most connected to, to be there to help you witness it. And if they can't be in the temple with you or in in your synagogue, if they can't, if they don't share the same faith, so they can't participate exactly in all the rituals or the rites, then um, I'd have them there to be the first person you meet when you walk out the temple doors. There's nothing more beautiful than having uh, to be being able to be greeted and loved and connected. And I'd find a way to fold those people that aren't of your faith into your rituals and your beliefs so that you can somehow, somehow still keep that connection. Great question, Trent from Arizona. Again, anytime, folks, that you have questions that you want to ask us on the show, give us a call at one eight five five chat byu We'll always get you in like we just did there, Trent. Now, we've got a few minutes left. And so I need – I really have to get to this game we're going to play. Is it a game? It can be a game. Merritt, explain the game. So the game is, well, it's more of a competition. We were talking about competition. This, we were talking about these weddings, yes. huge wedding plans, how much, you know, what you want to do for your weddings, who you want there. And we were going to see between me and James who is more prepared for their future wedding. Now, this is interesting because do you know that James has a significant Molly, other? yes. Molly. So is what we're calling we're her. Calling her Molly, we're calling her Molly the Mormon. <laughs> Molly Mormon is her name. Anyway, so you kind of hear this, you know, the stereotype that girls have their weddings yeah. to plan out. Yeah. So we just wanted to see how that I, I think we're going to – James so is going to do So I printed out my well. ultimate okay. wedding planning yeah. checklist. Yeah. You ready? Yes. Okay. Number one is start a wedding folder or binder. <laughs> James, do you want to go first? Um, 
that that's definitely on my to-do list. I was going to be starting that next week, Were actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, I saw you cutting stuff out of Glamour magazine. Yeah, I've already started doing the clippings. Yeah, but yeah. Actually, starting the folder, I haven't but yet. It's about Pinterest. I compiled Matt. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's, Pinterest. That's, in fact, and Sarah makes a great yeah. point because James has an incredible Pinterest page for all of his wedding wants. But it's all digital. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Does that count? I think that counts. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say the same thing. I have like maybe f- a few things on Pinterest. I'm not. Are you into really? It, but there, are, there are girls I know who have their whole wedding planned. So, well, Sarah did. Yeah. If you want to see anything, go to thehappygal.com because Sarah Gowans, you can see a picture. It's I'll be inspired. it's flattering, except your head's not in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> but well, your the bow on the back of your dress is beautiful. Thanks. Okay. And you can see you can see Joe's hands. The next item on the list is pick your wedding party. Oh, what does that yeah. mean? Meaning, who are going to be your bridesmaids? Who are going to be your groomsmen? Uh, see, my heart's racing now. I know. You know what? And that is something that I have considered because it's stressful. Oh, yeah. Because which friend? I know, really. Who's your best you have friend? To, it's, it, you're ranking your friends, which yeah. I, as a rule, don't do. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So that's always interesting. I and think it, I've decided to stick with my sister. Let's just have one. Well, yeah. It if you keep it blood, way. I mean, they got to stick with you anyway. I know. Exactly. So. James, have you picked your maid of honor? My maid of honor. Your best man. Well, look, uh, it's actually really easy for me because I have a big family. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Keep in the family. Yeah, exactly. So I have three brothers, so boom, done. But you know, it really doesn't matter if you offend all your friends before your wedding because isn't it true that after your wedding they don't talk to you anyway? <laughs> so true. Because <laughs> you lose all your friends anyway because you're yeah. married. Or you don't talk to them. That's right. There's that. That's right. Okay, this is this is makes my heart race. Right? Okay, okay, keep going. Mm. Okay, on our checklist is – Meet caterers and decide what food you uh, want to serve at your wedding. James, you're up. As far <laughs> meeting them, I don't know, but uh, chocolate fountain. That's all I have to say. <laughs> that's all that matters to me is the chocolate fountain. When in doubt, go with the chocolate fountain. Yeah, I don't need to meet anyone for that. You don't even need utensils. Nope. You don't even need anything to put in the fountain. You could just have everyone just lean a in. Cup. Yeah. yeah. It would be like a drinking fountain, a chocolate drinking fountain. Who wants a drink out of the chocolate fountain? <laughs> Happy this is wedding. why girls do most of the planning. <laughs> yeah, that that would be pretty neat. Come on, yeah. let's be honest. Gosh. I mean, seriously. That and would you would be... probably have hot pockets there, wouldn't you, Matt? Hot pockets <laughs> and a chocolate fountain. That Ooh. sounds fantastic. Yeah, that a could hot work. plate of cho- of uh, that hot could pockets. Work. You'd want white chocolate, though. Yeah, probably. If you're going to put it on your hot pocket, white <laughs> chocolate, something a little lighter. See, but uh, see, as a father, I just sit here and think, how much is it a plate? Yeah, yeah. That's all I'm thinking. Well, I mean, you had your daughter get married, I know. and that was a stressful time. Yeah, we didn't eat. <laughs> I don't. I don't even. I honestly don't remember what we did. You know, I remember, but see, that's just me being a girl. Yeah. You had a candy bar. I do know that. We had, had a ice candy cream. bar. Did you we have did ice cream too. I don't remember. I had it. I had ice cream at my <laughs> wedding because that embarrassed everyone. Yeah. But a chocolate bar is what I would do. We got to go. Can you? That went fast. It did go fast. Um, by the way, remember Scott Stanley said none of that would actually matter. It's to so the true. durability of your marriage. That's a good thing. What matters more is that you love each other, right, Sarah? It matters a lot. You need to, you and, like you and Joe, you just need to live like Sarah and Joe. And pumpkin muffins. And pumpkin muffins. Here's a quote for you. Ask yourself if what you're doing today is getting you closer to where you want to be tomorrow. Simple question, huh? Let's start asking ourselves that. Hey, tomorrow we're going to have the best of Matt Townsend show. We'll be back Monday with more ideas, more tools to help you find the good in life. Thanks for joining us. And again, uh, remember who you are, right? This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.